welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting, and also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter, where my handle is at turkeyhitman, and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 146, Turkey Hunting Gun Modifications, Part 2 with Lawrence Polinski. And I am your host and one of the few people in the state of Alabama who is excited about 10 to 12 straight days of rain at some point during the day. Remember, I'm also the guy who recently laid four pallets of sod in the front yard, so I welcome the rain because I don't have to take time to water or spend the money to pay the Birmingham Waterworks to water my grass, which, by the way, is looking fantastic and starting to grow together. So I'm excited about that. The wife is excited about that. That's always a good thing. So today, we are 217 days 15 hours, 59 minutes, and 58 seconds away from opening day of spring turkey season in Alabama. And I have a long show for you guys today. So the intro and outro for the show are going to be very quick. Remember several weeks ago, I did a show on turkey hunting shotgun modifications where I talked about porting a barrel of a gun. I also talked about back boring and lengthening the forcing cones in guns. And at the end of the show, after talking about those modifications, I gave you guys my opinion of whether or not I think those modifications are worth investing in. And I also told you that I would check around to see if I could get a gunsmith to come on the show and talk to us about those modifications and whether or not he or she felt like those modifications were worth investing in for the average turkey hunter. And that is what I have for us today. I have Lawrence Polinsky with Polinsky Arms on the phone today to talk to us about modifications to a turkey hunting shotgun and really any shotgun, but we're specifically talking about whether or not these modifications may help a turkey hunter. And because I have a long and very interesting interview for you guys, we're going to go ahead and jump into the interview. So here is Lawrence Polinsky, and I'll see you guys on the other side. Hey everybody, I am glad to tell you that I have on the line with me today Lawrence Polinsky with Polinsky Arms, and we're going to talk about some fun stuff today. If you're a gun nut like I am, then this is going to be the show for you. We're going to talk about 
shotgun modifications for the turkey hunter. And Lawrence, I am glad to have you on the line. I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule. I know we talked a couple of weeks and you were on a road trip doing some work and you do a good bit of that, but, and we'll get into that in a minute, but how are you and where are you? I'm doing fine. I'm in Cumberland, Virginia. Okay. In Cumberland, Virginia, tell me kind of where that is in the state. It's roughly in the center of the state. It's 45 miles west of Richmond, out in the country. Okay. All right. Fantastic. That's a good place to be, out in the country. Yeah, we have a lot of a lot of deer, got a lot of turkeys, yeah. and squirrels, rabbits, and such. Fantastic. A bear every once in a while. Yeah. Yeah, I've got a friend that lives north of you, and... He's just loaded with turkeys up there, so I've been fortunate enough to go up there a couple of times and hunt with him, and it's been productive and a fun trip. So, and you know, since he lives north of you, I'll I'll say this: we like to call him the Yankee out of <laughs> out of my group of buddies, and it really irritates him. I mean, it just really irritates him because if it didn't irritate him, we probably wouldn't call him that. Right. So, exactly. You know, we we like to pick on him a good bit, but. He's a, he's a good guy and a good hunter. So tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into gunsmithing, and tell us a little bit about your business and how we can get in touch with you as well. Well, I guess I started around eight years old. I was shooting and hunting, pretty young to start, but that's the way it was when I was a kid, mm-hmm. and shot junior rifle, which is a uh, small bore indoor 50-foot range that was we had rifles that were donated by the government that we used. Okay. Shot high-power rifle and pistol. Served in the service as a machinist. Came out, got an associate's degree in mechanical engineering. Didn't want to be a mechanical engineer, so I went to gunsmithing college. Got an associate degree in gunsmithing and been gunsmithing since. Wow. Over 30 years gunsmithing. 20 Over 28 years touring as a gunsmith with a... I've got a 40-foot mobile gunsmithing shop, and the 16 feet in the back is gunsmith shop, and the balance of the trailer in the front is all RV. So uh traveled everywhere from Florida to Maine to Arizona, Colorado, and still touring. And I do go to San Antonio every year for the month of October to attend two events down there and do on-site gunsmithing. That is too cool. So you, you attend these competitive shoots and are there to do gunsmithing for those shooters is that correct yes that's correct that is really neat and yeah that's something that before you and i spoke the first time i never even knew i mean i knew there were shooting competitions that part of it i knew but it makes perfectly good sense that these shooters are going to have malfunctions or want to make some sort of fine tuning to their gun or something like that and they need a gunsmith so it's nice to have one on site i would imagine Yes, I I learned early on that I wanted to build my business as fast as possible. And so I realized that if I just sat in the shop and waited for people to come to my door, it was going to take a long time. So I decided to take myself to them rather than wait for them to come to me. That is a smart business plan. I like that. It's worked out very well. Good deal. Well, I know that, and I didn't tell you this part, but you came highly recommended by a couple of competitive shooters, and I just managed to get on a group on Facebook and started asking some questions for looking for a gunsmith, and your name was thrown out there, and so I said, well, I've got to talk to Lawrence because he's, from what I hear, it sounds like he probably knows what he's talking about, so that's that's how I stumbled across you. Well, so, thank you. Yeah. 
Now, do you do any sort of custom chokes or anything like that for turkey hunting or just no, I don't. shooting? Yeah, well, I don't do any custom choke work. I do open chokes on fixed choke guns and uh, depends on if they're chrome-lined or not. If they're chrome-lined, it's a much more difficult process because you've got to get rid of the chrome before you can start cutting the steel. Mm-hmm. And I don't screw choke. I just have found in over 30 years of gunsmithing that if I don't do a job and my customer wants it done, I seek out whoever is the best in the industry out there doing that job and I'll send it to them or refer that customer to them even though I don't do the work, my name is still attached to it. So I want the customer to be more than satisfied with the end product whether I do it or someone else does it. Yeah, that's exactly right. Anytime we give a referral, we give away a little piece of ourselves. So Absolutely. that's, that's a, a great strategy there. So tell us how we can get in touch with you. If we have questions about any sort of modifications to any guns or if we want to actually have you do some work for us. You can reach me via email, which is Polinsky Farms, F-A-R-M-S, at AOL.com. Um, just a real quick note as to why that came about is we bought 23 years ago, we bought an old farm out in the country and, uh, there's a big sign in the front yard that stands 12 feet in the air. And we decided we wanted to put Polinsky arms on it. And then I thought, I don't really need to advertise to everybody. I only need to advertise to the people who need to know what I do. So my wife came up with Polinsky F apostrophe arms on the sign and uh if you're just going by quickly you just see it's Polinsky Farms but if you know what you're looking at you realize that this is where I have my gunsmithing operation that is very clever and uh I like you, you that can a lot. Reach me. yeah it does it works really well um you can reach me by cell phone area code 804 357 2393 Again, 804-357-2393. I have a Facebook page, Polinsky Arms, LLC, and I've got a website, polinskyarms.com, and that's P-Y-L-I-N-S-K-I is the Polinsky. Fantastic. Yeah, I have to do that all the time as well. Galliano throws a couple of people off, so. Yes, yes. Yeah. We get used to it after a few days when people say, how do you spell that? You just go ahead and start spelling it when you say it. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I love your wife's idea. That is just extremely clever. Yeah. All right. So one other thing about your business. I, I know every good gunsmith has some lag time, some downtime. They've got a backup of work because there's always work to be done. People want their firearms touched by the best of the best. So just general work no no specialty work or anything like that general work that someone would want done to a shotgun or something like that what is roughly your turn time on that it really depends on several things as to what my turnaround is and it really gets convoluted and complicated a lot of it's <laughs> i'd say it but a lot of it's attitude customer comes in with an attitude it uh, it sometimes it it takes a little longer to do the job because I have to get myself around and go, you know, it's, let's just go ahead and get this job done. But typically it can run anywhere from when I'm at an event, it can run anywhere from five minutes turnaround to overnight 
which I have to do at events. I've got to perform and make sure that this this shooter's gun is back online by mm-hmm. the morning. Or in the shop setting, sometimes it can go up to three, four, five months. Just depends on what the job is and what the shooter needs to have done and what their time frame is. And one thing I've found that shooters, they, they make a big mistake in and they give you a gun and they say, here's my gun, this is what I need, I'm in no hurry. Yeah. What that does, it does two things. Number one, if they're not in a hurry, I'm not in a hurry because I've got several guns in front of it that are. And typically when they say that, within an hour to maybe two days, they call me and ask me if I've gotten at it. Uh-huh. And, oh, it's then it kind of is the dynamics of that job. What is their definition of in a hurry or not in a hurry? Right. But it can run anywhere from five minutes to five months. Just depends on the job and what it entails to get it done. Fantastic. Good deal. All right. Let's talk about some of these modifications that shooters, but primarily hunters and specifically turkey hunters may want to make to their shotgun in order to enhance the shootability of the gun and also the pattern of the gun. So can you explain a little bit what porting a barrel is and the benefits of having a barrel ported? Porting is a series of holes drilled, either drilled or EDM'd in the barrel at the muzzle, just behind the choke at the muzzle. If you've got screw chokes, you have to, when they install the porting, they have to take that into account and put the porting behind the screw chokes mm-hmm. rather than through them. Uh, and these holes, they allow the gas to escape upward as the wad is passing by the holes, therefore keeping the muzzle jump down, allowing a quicker recovery for the second shot. Several guns I work on and have worked on in the past, the shooter is shooting the bottom barrel first in every instance, so therefore, in, and this is in an over-under uh, gun, uh, therefore, they re- they port the bottom barrel, relieving those gases, but the top barrel is not because once they've shot the bottom barrel, they got the quick recovery for the second shot of the top barrel. Right. And when the top barrel is fired, they're not, they don't have a follow-up shot, so it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. But for symmetry or just overall muzzle jump, a lot of times they will port the top barrel as well. Okay. And now, go ahead. One other thing about that is, though, on the negative side, it does prove to be quite a bit louder once it's ported because those gases are escaping upward and a little bit backward. And a lot of times if you're shooting with other people, either in a blind or on a clay target course, it ends up being louder for them as well. And typically they're not overly impressed with the noise level of that gun. And they you could shy away from wanting to shoot with that particular shooter because of that. Right, yeah. My dad had that done on a, a large caliber rifle and was at the shooting range right after he had it done with one of his buddies and shot and blew the guy's hat off from the gas right. coming out. <laughs> yeah, if you're at the range with someone, you may want to kind of check their gun out before you get too close to them. Yeah, exactly. You might want to move a couple stations down. Yeah. <laughs> yes, indeed. So do you recommend just 
for turkey hunting, you know, and, and not everyone out there has a gun that they use specifically for turkey hunting. Not everyone listening to this show does, and and I do. I have one 12 gauge that I use specifically for turkeys, nothing else. So in that situation, do you recommend porting a barrel for a turkey hunting shotgun? I don't really see as it's going to be of any detriment. You know, if you're typically, you're going to be out there by yourself and with a semi-auto or a, a over-under, either one, I would, I guess, I it's going to be personal preference more than anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would not condone it. I would, I would think if, especially if the shooter is getting slapped in the face pretty good, Every time he pulls the trigger, that keeps that muzzle jump down, keeps it from slapping him in the face and allowing the second shot recovery. So I would say it would be a a welcome addition to a turkey gun. Okay. All right. Now, there, like I said, are people who are listening who have one shotgun that they use for multiple purposes, whether that's home defense or hunting or uh, shooting, whatever it happens to be. Is that something you would recommend for them as well? I think that opens up another can of worms a little bit. I, you have to study it a little closer and decide exactly what you, everything you're going to do with this gun. If it's one gun, does it all? Look at what you're planning on doing with it. If you're going to use it for turkey hunting and home defense, then probably would be fine. You have to realize in a home defense situation, which of course, hope you, hopefully you never need that. But if you do need it, you're not going to have any hearing protection on, and it's going to be pretty loud. But at that juncture in time, that's probably the least of your worries is the noise level of that shotgun. Very true. So I would say you have to weigh out all the aspects of what you're going to be using it for. Yeah, and in a home defense situation, and again, you know, it's not like we're, I pray we're not doing that every day. The law enforcement probably stands a much better chance of doing that every day in a in a self-defense situation. But for us average homeowners, we, we'd better not be doing that every day or we might want to look into moving. But yeah. is there a concern at all over muzzle flash with a ported barrel, more so than one that's not ported? I can't say as I, I can really answer that. I've never done any testing on a ported versus non-ported barrel in a, let's say, in a low light or no light situation. Okay. I couldn't tell you. I would think you're obviously going to get some muzzle flash coming back and up, which is going to affect your eyesight immediately and your view of the target. But with a shotgun, you don't have one projectile going out there. You've got several. So as long as you're close, you're, you should be pretty good to go. Okay. All right. And porting a barrel is something that you do. Is that correct? No, that's that's uh, one that's one of a couple different jobs I don't do. Then again, it goes back to if I don't do it, I find the people who are the best in the industry to do that. And I've got a guy down in Alabama that I send my porting to. All right. What does that typically cost to have a gun ported? Just uh, it can run anywhere between everybody's got their own price structure and all that. So in the area of 90 to $125 per barrel. Okay. I want to move on to talking about one of the other mods that a lot of 
hunters and shooters make to their guns. But before I do, is there anything else about porting a barrel that you think is important that we may want to know before we make a decision to have that done? One thing you might look at is saleability of that gun before you port it. If you are ever considering selling that gun, do you want to port it or not? Porting does affect the saleability of a gun because if you don't have the ports there, they can always be put there. But once they're there, you're never going to take them away unless you cut the barrel off. And that typically isn't an option. And this there, this also goes into the price structure of what it costs to have it done. You want to find somebody that is very reputable doing that job. I advocate EDM, having the porting done with an EDM machine. That's electron discharge machining rather than drilling it with a drill bit. A drill bit's fine and all that, but the EDM gives a cleaner job. It's I really can't say it's more professional, but it's it's a higher end, higher end job of the porting being done. Sure. So I would look at if I were going to tell somebody to port a gun or recommend it, it would be uh, definitely cut with EDM. Okay. All right. And and you brought up a a very good point, and that's something that I've never really thought about, and that's sellability because I actually was looking at a used shotgun. Gosh, it was about this time last year, I, I wanted a little 20 gauge to take to the turkey woods with me and was going to just do some homemade mods to it, changing out the stock and, of course, the choke because the choke is coming from the coming out of the box is never what really we want as turkey hunters. So I was looking at a new gun, but I also was considering a used one at one of the local sporting goods stores. And... They wanted a the store wanted a price that I felt like was too high for that gun, and I said, you know, it's a used gun. I can buy a brand new one for the same price, if not cheaper. And they and the salesman said, well, you know, this barrel is ported though. And I said, well, first of all, it's a 20 gauge. Second of all, it's going to be a dedicated turkey hunting shotgun for the most part, and I don't really see a benefit in porting a turkey hunting shotgun. So for me, porting adds no benefit, and it adds no, certainly is no reason for me to pay more for a gun, and especially a used gun, than I can go and, and buy a brand new one for. So the fact that that gun's barrel was ported actually kept me from buying that gun because I did go and buy a brand new one and ended up catching it on sale and with a rebate and bought it $50 cheaper than they were going to sell me the used one for. Right. So that's something I hadn't thought about. That's a very good point. Yeah, that that porting held no value to you at that time. That's exactly right. Yeah. All right, well, let's talk about something that a lot of shotgunners are doing to their guns, and that's backboring. And tell us the process of backboring and also the benefits of having a gun backboard as well. What backboring is, is making the diameter of the bore of the barrel inside larger, and you can either ream it out or hone it out as in the the material has to be either reamed or honed out. And if you ream it out when you're all done, you've got to polish that. If you hone it out, well, you're polishing and honing all at the same time. By increasing the diameter of that bore, it reduces the friction on the wad as it's traveling up the barrel. Therefore, the gases that are propelling that wad up the bore 
have to work less at overcoming the friction and more at propelling the wad out the end of the barrel, therefore increasing the velocity and also the fact that the bore is larger, you get fewer deformed shot pellets and the outcome of that is reduced recoil and improved pattern at the target. All right. And again, kind of the same thing as what we talked about with hoarding a barrel. Do you recommend back boring a turkey hunting shotgun, a designated turkey hunting shotgun? I would. I would definitely look at that, especially some of the barrels from years ago. There, A lot of the manufacturers now are going to larger than standard bore, standard being 729,000. They're doing that because it seems to be the rage of the age, which I feel is a good move in everybody's direction. And the older barrels are really small diameter. I've seen them down around 721, 722 thousandths, which is a really tight bore. And it, the guns really, they recoil pretty drastically. So by improving or increasing the diameter of that bore, you're going to reduce your recoil and improve your pattern. So if you've got a, a bore diameter that is under standard dimensions, I would definitely look at doing that. All right. So because some of the manufacturers of these guns are doing this in the factory when they're making these guns now, is that something that that you would recommend primarily for an older gun and for a, a buyer of a new gun to really do their homework to know if the manufacturer of the gun that they're looking at is already making the, the diameter of that bore larger than I can't say standard if the new standard is a higher or a larger bore, but you know where I'm going with that. Yes, I'd look at the gun, and if you go to, I don't know how many gun shops have one of these. I've got a bore mic that I can go down inside the barrel and measure the inside diameter of that barrel, and it tells me what I'm looking at without actually looking at it and gives me that dimension inside and lets me know that is this barrel backboard or is this barrel standard specs, which is 729, or is it under spec? And by getting that information, it would let me determine, help help my customer determine, all right, do I want to go ahead and backboard this barrel to ultimately do what I want to do with it? Mm-hmm. So I would have to look at, I'd have to, it's one of those things you really have to have to have the barrel in hand and measure it in give your customer the information they're looking for. Now, a lot of the newer guns are already backboard, so you can go to their websites, look at their current information, and they'll pretty much tell you what the bore is of these barrels before you even go and look at it if you're looking at a specific gun. All right, and you said 729 thousandths is the standard, so we're looking for for a bore that has a larger diameter than that? Yes, we're looking for something around 735, 740. I've seen them up to 745 come out of the factory. There's a company out there that I've done business with out of Omaha, Nebraska, and they advertise their barrels that they do modifications to as having 780 thousandths inside diameter, which is almost identical to the chamber. They're a big bore barrel. I don't know as I would, I wouldn't go that high with a turkey shooting gun. I would definitely stay around the 740, 750 
dimension if I were to tell a customer where they need to go with that barrel. Okay. And is there a reason for that, that you wouldn't go high? I mean, I, I assume it's like most other. All right. It is that time. So that is the end of the free content for this week's Turkey Hunter podcast episode. If you would like to hear the rest of this week's episode, then you can subscribe to the show by texting the word Turkey Hunter to the number 44222. Turkey Hunter to 44222. And now remember, I'm not collecting phone numbers when you text to that number. This is just simply a way for me to get the link for you guys to subscribe to the premium content and be able to hear this week's show and all of the past premium episodes and the premium content for the next 52 weeks. So that is all that I'm interested in is getting that link to you guys so that you can subscribe and get that premium content and be able to take advantage of all the great information that is being shared in the second half of each week's show that the premium subscribers are getting. So text the word Turkey Hunter, one word, Turkey Hunter, to the number 44222, and I'll send you the link so that you can subscribe to the premium content. And remember that the subscription costs only $12 per year, basically a dollar per month to get 52 weeks of premium content plus all the past premium content as well. So I hope that you guys enjoyed that interview with Lawrence because I know that I certainly did. I got a lot of great info from that and I think I've kind of started to change my opinion on lengthening the forcing cones and maybe it's not a bad idea for us hunters who have an older model shotgun to be able to improve our pattern. And in fact, I'm considering maybe sending Black Death off because Black Death is a mid to late 90s model browning and I don't think the forcing cones were lengthened during the manufacturing process. And I'm kind of wondering if I might do a little experiment with Lawrence and actually pattern that gun before I send it to him, send it off to him, maybe let him pattern it while he lengthens the forcing cones and then let him ship it back to me and let me pattern it at that point and see how much improved that pattern is. Considering the fact that it was a relatively expensive shotgun at the time that it was purchased, it would be a relatively expensive experiment, but it might just be worth it. So I'll keep you updated on that. I'll keep you posted and let you know what I decide to do with Black Death. So that's all that I've got for you guys today, but I'm going to ask you for a favor before I cut you loose. If you would, please like, share, and retweet the link to this week's show on social media. It's a huge help to the show and to me, and I thank you guys for taking time to give back to the show that gives to you each and every week. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I know that you have choices. I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week, and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com 
to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.